is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brittle. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Mark Dama is a good friend and a high-performance coach who has an MA in positive psychology and is an expert in the science of success. Mark is a master in hacking motivation and positive mindset, and he uses this expertise to help people look, feel, and perform at their best by optimizing their health and mindset. He's also the creator of the incredibly effective and popular Limitless Program, a science-based formula to getting and staying motivated in order to achieve your goals. In this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show, Mark and I discuss his incredible science-based strategies for hacking motivation and staying consistently fired up and focused. He shares with us how to achieve the optimal health mindset in order to accomplish goals in record time. We also discuss what the research says about staying consistently motivated and how you can apply it to your own life. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Mark Dama. Hey everyone, I know you'll enjoy the interview. If you'd like to learn more of my top biohacking secrets, get a free copy of my best-selling book called The Biohacker's Guide to Upgraded Energy and Focus for free at biohackersguide.com. It's over 500 pages of my top biohacks and I'll send it to you for free if you cover a small shipping cost. Get your free copy at biohackersguide.com. All right, Mark Dama, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Anthony. How'd you get into all this? Well, I really, it really started um, when I was 13 years old, actually. So as a, as a teenager, a young teenager, I was overweight. And I really didn't know why I was overweight. I had no idea. I used to play soccer or play rugby. And growing up back in Manchester, England. And, and, you know, I was exercising all the time in terms of playing like sports. But I was just overweight, and a lot of my friends were not overweight. I was. So at school, I was in high school, I got teased by the guys, you know, and some of the, the girls would mention I, I was overweight, and it really, really bothered me. But it wasn't enough for me to make a decision that I needed to change. It was when I went um, home one night, and my mom told me that my grandfather thought that I was too fat. And... When I heard that, that absolutely crushed me and like totally broke my heart because I was thinking, you know, at school people make fun of me for being overweight and then I come home and my own grandfather's making fun of me for being overweight. I've got to, I've got to change. I've got to figure this out. Now, my grandfather wasn't making fun of me. He, he was just uh, concerned about my health and wanted to bring it to my mom. Um, but I just took it as like he was making the ear. He was making fun of me. So I went into school the very next day and I went up to the best, the fittest guy in, in my class, this guy called Paul, Paul Gray. So I think he just, um, I think he, he just hit puberty way before everyone else because <laughs> he had like eight pack and just was jacked right he, away. He had some guys like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I went up to Paul and was like, Paul, can you help me out, please, mate? You know, how do I get a six pack? So luckily for me, Paul took pity on me a little bit and he was like, all right, I'm going to bring something in for you tomorrow. So ask me tomorrow, I'll put it in my bag, I'll bring it in for you. So I was like, all right, I had no idea what it was. Clenbuterol? <laughs> right. <laughs> Ephedrine. <laughs> so um, I, went back, I went back the following day and um, he had a little men's fitness pullout, six weeks to six pack abs thing. He said, look, just go home and just do that every night. So I was like, all right, cool, I'll do that. So I went home. I remember I like, started doing the sit-ups. I managed to get two sit-ups done before I had cramp and I had to like, call it a rest for the night. <laughs> then, I, um, then the following day I came back, started doing the sit-ups. I managed to do six before I got cramp. But I was like, man, I've, just got, I've done four more in just one day. This is awesome. If I keep doing this, I'm going to be like jacked. So um, I just kept training, kept doing that. And then I would ask my mom to go out and buy fitness magazines for me when she went to the grocery store. And then I'd just read all of it and just start applying what I learned. So I remember one of the first things I learned was that um, water is good for you. 
So I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know water was good for you. I used to drink soda and fruit juice. That was it. I didn't even like the taste of water, if you can believe that. Or not. I didn't like it. So um, I was like, okay, water's good for me. All right, for two weeks, I just said to myself, 13 years old, two weeks, I'm just going to drink water. I'll just drink water for two weeks and see what happens. So I did. I just drank water for two weeks, and two things happened. The first thing is I started to lose a lot more fat. I could see I was leaner. My, my pants were getting uh, looser. The second thing was it just became a habit. The first thing that I would grab if I was thirsty was water, where it used to be soda or fruit juice. So I realized, like, man, if I just keep, like, building habits like this and build it on, then surely I can get really great results. So cut a long story short, I just kept learning, kept applying, and started training more, doing more exercise. You know, by the time I was 15, I was in great shape. Um, when I was 18, I was in phenomenal shape. I decided to go to university to study sports science and physiology. This is um, the University of Leeds back in the UK. And I was in awesome shape. I was a rugby player. Um, everything was great until I had a knee injury. So I tore my ACL playing rugby. You know, I'm... I had a lot of trouble with it. I needed operation. I needed a couple of operations. First of all, I got misdiagnosed, and essentially, it was two years out of rugby. And in that time, when after I had the operation, I lost about 30, 35, 40 pounds of muscle, and um, I also lost all my confidence in myself. It was like my whole identity or my ego really was all like built up in how I looked all of it was and I, I went through like a little bit of a bout of depression at the same time um I was going through a bout of depression I was at university at the same time while I was at university I was working as a bouncer at Dorman and some of my friends at the gym were like hey Mark can you get us steroids so I was like, well, I don't know how to get steroids, and I hadn't taken them at the time. And, and they were like, well, just go ask whoever you're working with on the door. Like, you're a bouncer, duh. You know, you, you get steroids. So I was like, oh, okay. So I went to work, asked the guy I was working with if I could get some. Sure enough, he could. Um, so that the very same night, I had a guy around asking me what I wanted. So I was like, I don't know. Like, what, what have you got? Like, what, what should I get for my friends? So he was like, you know, grab a bit of this testosterone, get a bit of this post-cycle therapy stuff, grab this and that. So I was like, all right, cool. And I said, well, how much is it? He was like, oh, you know, it's 200 pounds, um, but you should charge like 350. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, like this is, you know, this is for my friends. You know, I'm just, I don't want to make any money. I'm just going to give it to my friends. And he was like, look, man, you know, if you, if you charge 350, you make 150, it was easy for you. I was like, no, I'm not interested in doing that. I'll just get it for my friends. So I got it for my friends. They were really happy. Then I'd lost so much muscle from being injured. I was like, look, let me try it myself. So I tried it. I did some injectable stuff. I put on pretty much all the weight back in like two months. Do you remember what it was? Was it like a, a, like a sipionate yeah, or an enanthate? It was, it was testosterone enanthate and... and um, Winstrol, I believe. And Winstrol's, um, is that is that a, a horse steroid? If I, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> right, Strongest. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. So I took I took those two and then, yeah, I just put all my weight back in like six or weeks or eight weeks. And then then I actually, I was like, all right, I don't, I don't need to do this again. Like I've got, that was like a bit intense. You know, I've got all my weight back. Were there, were there any downsides that you experienced? Um, well, my balls got smaller. <laughs> um, I mean, there wasn't like super noticeable downsides at the time. I wasn't too aware. I'm not as aware as I am now. As like my my mind, like um, my thought patterns or how I was acting and in my body. Yeah, I'd never recommend stories for any. Well, not for anyone. Some. Maybe in certain certain circumstances, but I'd never recommend the use of steroids just to look good. Right. Or to put on, so, yeah, like that was a di different time. I'll 
I'll tell you why. Because I actually more friends. So I was I was done with my steroids. I was like, all right, I've done it once, like that's good for me. But then my friends kept coming back. Hey, can you get us some more? Can you get us some more? So I'm like, all right. And the guy I was buying them from was like, hey, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sell them to you if you don't make a bit of money on this. He says, you need to make some money. So I was like, all right, I'll just make some money. So I was, you know, adding 200, 300 pounds on top of it. It was equivalent of about $500, right? So I was making 500 bucks here and there. And I was like, wow, this is, this is awesome. I, you know, I've never made so much money in such a short time. So anyway, after a couple of years, I was doing it for a couple of years. I was, I was making money and... You know, I was in great shape. I was training again. I was eat. You know, I was I was clean, but I was everything was good for me. But um, man, I just was not happy with my life at all. I was not happy. I remember looking into the mirror and just like couldn't even look at myself in the eye. Sort of turn away, and I just wasn't the person I knew I could be or wanted to be because I was selling people stuff that I wouldn't take myself that I knew wasn't good for their long term benefit. You know, and I knew a lot. A lot of the reasons people were taking it was exactly the reason I took it. It was because the muscle, like looking a certain way, was filling a void inside me. My whole image of myself was built on how big I was and how I looked. And when that was taken away from my injury, I was crushed. I was absolutely crushed, and I could see the people I was selling it to. It was the same. They thought that if they was in a certain shape, they'd be happy with life. And that's what life was about. And it's covering up insecurities and other things which I had myself. So I knew I was not helping these people. And I, in fact, I was giving them things that were, you know, potentially harmful for them. So like on so, one hand, you're, you're helping people get healthier. You're training them. You're telling them what to eat and how to improve their nutrition. And then on the other hand, you feel like this contradiction, this conflict, because you're doing something that you know is taking people the other direction. Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think I'm about 20, 22 now or 23. I just thought, right, this is, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to stop this. I can't do it anymore. So I got rid of them all. Then I started um, going into personal training. I started like getting qualifications in personal training, sports nutrition, nutrition. I was lucky enough to get a mentor, a guy called Dr. John Barardi. He runs a company called Precision Nutrition. Yeah. How did you get linked up with John? Uh, it's a funny story actually and so it was shortly after I decided to turn my life around really so I moved to I moved back in with my mum and my sister because my father passed away just a couple of years before and then so I moved back in with my mum and sister I needed to get away from the lifestyle I was living in the city because not only was I like selling steroids and so on I was also like going out on the weekends, doing lines of cocaine, binge drinking. Is this I mean, still in the UK or is this in the this US? This is still in the UK. Okay. It's still in the UK. So I, I got away from all of that and just decided I wanted to turn my life around. And I knew a big part of turning life around was turning my, my psychology around. I wasn't a happy person. I knew that my issue was in my head. There was something going on. So I really started investing in personal development started reading, started learning, and just decided to work on myself. A lot of inner work. So, um, yeah, there was, a, there was a fitness conference coming up, and Dr. John Berardi was there. And I, I remember <laughs> um, reading the book, The 4-Hour Work Week, Tim Ferriss, right? Yep. And Tim Ferriss in that book talked about having a celebrity mentor, you know, finding a mentor that would be a celebrity for you. For me, that was Dr. John Berardi because when I started following his um, like nutrition systems, I started getting real good results and looking really well. By, by the time I was 23, 24, I was a fitness model, so I was doing a lot of fitness modeling in the UK too. And later on, I started doing men's fitness. I actually was in one of those men's fitness books for six weeks. I was in a few of them actually, the six weeks to six-pack abs back in the nice. UK, so I did the full circle. <laughs> And paying it forward, yeah, <laughs> yeah, paying pay it forward exactly. So, um, yeah, so he, I read that for right, Dr. John Berardi is definitely a celebrity mentor, mentor for me. I heard that he was coming to this um, event in the UK, a fitness professional event. So, he decided to go, 
And the, I remember the book after, <laughs> so funny, so the book after the um, Tim Ferriss book I read was The Secret, right? Yep. You know, the popular book Secret. And I, I actually hated that book. I hated it. I thought it was the dumbest book I've ever heard in my, well, read in my life, actually listened to the audio book, so heard in my life, I thought it was stupid, but I absolutely wasted my time and money. I was more pissed that I wasted my time listening to the whole thing. I've, I've heard that a number of times with people that read the book. I think there's something about the DVD because there's so many people interviewed in the DVD that it almost gives it, gives it this added credibility where when you just read it in the book, you're like, this is complete babble <laughs> if, if, if you've never been exposed to it. Yeah, I've never been exposed to it. I thought it was absolute babble. I hated it, but there was a little voice in my head that was like, Mark, just at least do an experiment with it. All right. So I thought, all right, I'll experiment. So I experimented by like visualizing that Dr. Jamborani was my mentor, right? And I like kept acting as if it had happened. I told my mom, oh, yeah, this guy's in my mentor and this and that. And I started, started acting as if. And uh, I went out to this event. It was about a three-hour drive from where I lived in Manchester. It was in a place called Loughborough. So I was driving. I was listening to the audio book when I was driving and going over the scenario. And when I got there, I got to um, – Dr. Barati's like presentation. At the end of the presentation, people were lining up to ask him questions and get books signed or whatever. It was a long line. So I, I just stepped to the back and I thought, well, I don't have to queue up, I don't have to line up in this because it's gonna be my mentor. So I just like waited, stepped to the side, and then I noticed his assistant was there. So I just started talking to his assistant. I was talking to his assistant. We was having a good chat, her name was Amanda, and was you know, asking her how the flight was, what we've been up to, um, and then it turns out that they were actually staying in my city, Manchester. So they were staying in Manchester, which was about three hours away, I was like, oh, that's weird, and um, they wasn't having such a good time there. So I said to her, I said, hey, well, you know, I live in Manchester, if you really want to experience the city, I'd love to take you both around, we'll take you on a tour, take you all the cool spots, so you can really experience it. So she said, oh, she said, oh that's a great idea. So when, um, when all the line had gone about 40 minutes later, I was speaking to her about 40 minutes, when the line had gone, she introduced me to, to John. Turns out that that was actually his girlfriend, who's now actually his wife. So she introduced me to him, and then she put the idea to him that I take them out on a tour in Manchester. So he was like, what, is that what you want to do? She was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. So he was like, all right. And so I ended up the next day like, taking them on a tour around Manchester, took them to Manchester United um, Soccer Club, which oh, nice. was a nice team, and then took them to the restaurant to make sure they had a great workout. And at the end of the day, um, Dr. Brady said, hey, like we've had a fantastic time. You're going to have to come out to um, Canada to spend time with us so I can show you the business, precision nutrition, and I'll hook you up with some of my friends in the U.S. who are like top strength coaches, top, top nutrition coaches, you know, strength coaches for um, Major League Baseball, strength coaches for NHL. I went with him to work with the Cleveland Browns to do some nutrition stuff. So I ended up going to the U.S. and being interned with him for three, three months and he became a mentor. Um, so moved back to London, started working with executives, entrepreneurs, doing a lot of health coaching, um, training, coaching around nutrition. Saw these executives, entrepreneurs, a lot of them had a lot of money, not very happy with the life, stressed out, and you know, just, just weren't happy, a bit like me early in my career. So then I thought, well, I've done a lot of work on myself in terms of psychology and turning it around, reading a lot about psychology, applying it to my life. I thought what I'd really love to do is get all this information about optimal health and fitness, get this information about optimal psychology, get it online and just help as many people as I can with it. So I thought I've got a formal qualification in like sports science physiology I know a lot about the psychology. I've used it, I've applied it, but I don't have a formal qualification. But why don't I get a master's degree in that so I really understand both the worlds? 
And that's what brought me out to Los Angeles. I, I moved to a place called Claremont. I went to Claremont Graduate University, studied to get a master's degree in positive psychology, and studied under a guy called Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. Is he an author for a flow? Yeah. Like, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, author of flow. So we studied over here. Yeah, studied under him. Really learned more about the psychology, like the research behind it, and how to apply it to your life. Things like how to improve your confidence, motivation, how to get into flow, and and yeah, now I live, I live here in Hollywood, and I've got clients here in person that help me just perform at the best, and I do a lot of stuff online too. Put, do content, get videos that help people be at the best, both physically and mentally. That's that's such a cool story, and especially the way that you separated yourself from everybody else at the event. Because that's what I was curious. You go to these you go to these big events where guys like John are speaking, and they're just bombarded by people. Yeah. And you almost feel like if you even if you want to go talk to them in a way that's totally cool, you almost feel like a little girl at a One Direction concert or something. Right. Like you're just another groupie. So. It's it's amazing to me that you were able to because you've done all that visualization work, you adopted the behaviors of someone that was already John Berardi's men, uh, that that John Berardi was mentoring, and because yeah. you did that, it led to everything else. So it started yeah. with the visualization. It did. It did. It really, really did. Really I, cool. As much as I'd hate to admit it at the time, because I thought that that stuff was BS at the time. No, I did. I, I didn't. I didn't really plan. I didn't really strategize. I just turned up and just, it happened. Yeah. Were you, when you were talking to his assistant and now wife, were you thinking, how can I add value to this man? How can I help out this man? Or did it just happen to work out in your favor that that's what you did? I think, I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I was that good at planning ahead or thinking like that. I, I just think it just worked out. He said, staying in Manchester. And I was like, I live in Manchester and yeah. wasn't having a good time. So I was like, oh, Manchester's a great city. I can show you a great time. And that was it. That's, that's really cool. Um, my, you know, my, my business, who is my business coach and now, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to call him my good friend, Russell Brunson. I paid him a ton of money to coach me. And for a while I was going to the events and I was like, man, I'm like, you know, I was, I was, because I'd listened to podcasts like Tim Ferriss and, you know, read some of those books. And he's always talking about like, figure out what you can give these people that they can't buy with money. If, if they're already successful and wealthy and don't be the person that's like, Hey, can I take you to coffee? They're like, if I want coffee, I'll go buy it myself. You know, if I want lunch, I'll go buy it myself. So I'm like, Every one of these events, I'm like, how can I help Russell Brunson? How can I help? And, and nothing was coming up. And then finally, he'd mentioned something about he, he had some health stuff going on, like low testosterone, and, and he, was, he was working on some other things and just not having luck. And I went up to him afterwards, and I was like, hey, can I, you know, can I help you out? Can I take you grocery shopping? And, and that was what opened everything else up. But it was oh, like awesome. – it was a similar situation where it's just like you, you help them out first, and then, and then it changes everything. Um, I think you're amazing at hacking motivation. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that, that you do to stay motivated yourself? And uh, part two of that question is when someone knows they want to get in better shape, but they hate working out, <laughs> they don't like eating healthy food, how, yeah. do you, how do you get their mind right first so those oh. behaviors become easier? Great questions. Thanks for asking. All right. Well, step one, motivation – um, there's a couple. There's, how do I stay motivated? Okay, well, there's a few things I do. I really, and I will explain a couple. I'm going to start off with which one I think is the most effective. And I think this is a silver bullet that a lot of people are looking for. And that is to have a morning routine, or I call it morning foundation, that has some aspect of day, <clears throat> daily mental conditioning, all right, daily mental conditioning, so setting yourself up to be at your best mentally each day by working on your emotions and um, working on your vision, so I'm going to explain how to do that in a second, I've got to say that I first heard about this from Tony Robbins about 10 years ago, it was going on about daily conditioning, you, got, you know, if you want to be at perform at your best every day, then 
You've got to condition yourself daily to be at your best. And I heard it about 10 years ago. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That's a good idea. Did nothing at all for about seven years. And then I heard it again. I heard it, I was listening to his stuff again, and I heard it again. I thought, oh, you know what? I'm actually going to try this because, to be fair, everything Tony's ever told me to do, and he threw his audio books, and I've actually applied, I've got great results. So let me try it. So I, I started going out in the morning. Um, I started thinking of you know, doing breathing exercises. I started doing a gratitude practice, which there's a ton of research coming out in psychology papers now that by focusing on what you're grateful for, reduces levels of cortisol, stress hormone, increases your amount of positive emotions. Positive emotions have been shown to increase your immune system, shown to make you more creative, um, shown to make you less anxiety. Make, make you just feel good and perform better overall, physiologically and psychologically. And that's just a couple of things about gratitude. So go out, think about things I can be grateful for for a few minutes. Then I start visualizing my future, what I want to create, what I want to happen in my life. I get really excited about it. I start attaching positive emotions to the vision that I was putting out there. So all I'm doing is telling my, my unconscious mind where a lot of this stuff happens. I kept telling, I'm telling it, hey, this is where you want to go in life, and it feels really, really good to go there. So just doing that every morning. So because you're telling your unconscious mind, but through visualization where you want to go, and then you allow yourself to get excited and feel good about it, then you're basically planting the seed for motivation just to spring out and start moving you in that direction, like effortlessly. So I did that for about a year and saw fantastic results. Were you, were you writing it down or were you just thinking through it? Did you do it outside? Like what was your, what was your routine? I just get up and go for a walk in the morning, like first thing I did. And Go for a walk, yeah, visualize what I wanted to create. And that was pretty much it. And started attaching positive emotions to it. Then later on, I realized that was effective, but it wasn't exactly what I wanted. I thought I could make it better using the research, you know, using my masters from what I've learned in psychology. I thought I could make it better. So then I created my own morning program, which was similar, except after I visualized what I wanted. Then I start thinking about my day and like what's the one thing I could get done in that day to help me move towards the goals. Um, and then I add some, a few other things to like increase my confidence, to increase my motivation into it. So I started my own program and I started following it. And I do it every day. I condition my mind to be confident, to be motivated, to be clear on what I wanted in life and um, to be focused on the results. And it works, I've got to tell you, because when I, I don't really have, I don't need motivation for stuff. I just do it. I just, yeah, a lot of people come to me saying that they need motivation, like, oh, they need to be motivated to do things. I actually don't ever experience like a need motivation. I just go out and do stuff what I want. <laughs> and I think a lot of it is because I condition myself daily to be like that. So, Daily conditioning, I actually created a program called Dominate Your Day, which will talk you through step-by-step step exactly how to do it. And um, this particular morning routine, I like to call it morning foundation because I believe it's a foundation for the rest of your day to build upon. And um, there's a, I've got a DJ, he's put some cool music to mix into it. It takes like, doing nine minutes, you can do it, the whole thing will take less than 20 minutes. Um, and I also got a bonus track, which you can do it in two minutes. Where, you, you know, where can I check that out? Um, you can go to markdharma.com backslash dominate your day. Oh, I, I like that. I'm gonna, I, I love those types of audio tracks. I, I'm, I'm excited yeah. to listeners. So that's one thing, daily conditioning. Now motivation. The research on motivation there's about four years of research, 40 years of research on motivation, and it's mainly done by a couple of psychologists called uh, Dr. Ryan and Dr. DC. 
And the, the biggest theory of motivation, which has been validated and shown to be effective over and over again, is something called self-determination theory. Self-determination theory. And man, it's, it's like the thing in motivation has been for about 40 years, so much research on it, yet most people have never heard of it. I've, I've never heard of it, and I'm a nerd with this stuff. Oh, yes. Yeah, most people have never heard of it. It's just like psychologists must have been keeping, it, keeping hold of it for themselves or something. Um, but that is the thing in motivation, the self-determination theory. And one of the things I like to do is I'll get the research from psych- psychological literature and then just make it really simple and easy to use. So to break down self-determination theory, make it really simple, you need three things to be motivated at your best. Okay, Focus on the internal motivation and there's three components to it. You can remember it through the acronym C-A-R. C-A-R. I like that. So car. So car is the vehicle that gets you to where you want. So motivation is a vehicle that actually gets you to take action. So C stands for competence. All right. People must feel competent in order to feel motivated in some way. So, for example, if I said to you, Anthony, I said, hey, Anthony, What's what's your what's like one exercise that you do not like doing? Like running, swimming. I I don't like uh, deadlifting. You don't like deadlifting. I know everyone. All all the guys are going to listen to me like, what a little sissy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you don't like deadlifting. Yeah. Is that because you're just not very good at it? No, it's because uh, I'm I'm decent at it. But what what happens is even if I have you know a, a, a trainer watching my form, my form looks great in the mirror. I'm fine. And then sometimes like the next day, this has happened a few times, I'll be doing something benign like washing my hair and I'll feel my back tweak oh, like that. 24 hours later. Right. So it's it's I'm sometimes like even if I feel like my form is on point, I have someone watching me, I'm at risk of, of tweaking my back. And then you're, you know, when your back's tweaked, it's like no fun for three to, three to seven days. Got it. All right. Cool. So if I said to you, Hey, let's you and I train for the world record deadlift. We'll do that together. We'll do a world record. Now, from what you've said, it's likely that you probably won't feel too motivated to do that. Nope. Because, you know, you've got experience in the past where you've done deadlifts, but you've hurt your back a little bit. So you may not feel competent enough. You may not feel like you're competent that you can actually go out and achieve that without some type of injury. So the C in car, self-determination, is competence. People must feel like they're competent, like they're able to achieve a goal before they will can feel motivated to go out and do it. That makes sense. So, right, you've got to feel competent. So if I said, you know, hey, let's go out and do 10, let's go out and do pull-ups or something, you're great at pull-ups. Then you feel more motivated to do it because you're like, oh, I'm competent. I know I can do pull-ups. I'll go out and do that thing. And mm-hmm. um, if I said to you, hey, let's um, set up a health podcast, probably feel motivated to do it because you're like, you know what? I can do that. I've got some great information to give. I've got some value to do it. I've got friends who've gone out and done it. I, I can go and do that. You feel competent. You're going to feel more motivated. Now, the interesting thing about competence is it's <laughs> – it's so funny, but this is this is like the interesting thing is it, it's purely perception. Competence is purely perception. It's, it's not an objective fact of whether you're competent or not. So if you feel competent, so let's say you're wanting to run a marathon, all right? And let's say you're totally out of shape right now. You, you have never run it before, you never even ran half a marathon, you never even ran five miles, you're totally out of shape. Now, one person could get could say, you know what, I'm going to run a marathon, I know I can do this, I can do it, I've got what it takes, I can do it. And they'll feel well, way more motivated than another person who'd be like, oh, I don't know if I can do it, I'm not sure if I can do it. 
and it could they could be exactly the same health status, could be exactly the same weight, whatever. It's just that one person feels more competent than the other. It's purely perception. If you feel more competent, you'll feel more motivated. So one of the things that I recommend to people is that you just feel confident before you're even competent. If you, if you tell yourself, like, hey, I'm going to do this, and you even act as if you pretend that you're confident, you pretend that you are competent, then you're going to feel more motivation and you're going to put more effort into achieving the goal you want purely because you're just pretending that you're competent. It's not, it's not based on objective reality. It's purely a perception. It makes, it makes complete sense. Like a, a lot of, so what you're saying, if I'm understanding correctly, is that when a lot of people are saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just being realistic. They're actually, right. They may actually be holding themselves back where someone that's, that's playing pretend and imagining that they have that competence, they yeah. are, do, because of that, going to take a step forward that will empower them to um, improve their, the status quo. Yeah, so using your example, the person who's being realistic is very unlikely to feel motivated to take action. The person who's like playing with it, imagining it, and you know, acting as if, is likely to feel motivation, and that motivation, remember car is the vehicle to move towards your actions, that motivation is likely to move them towards the actions so they can start building momentum. Is, is this why, I'm, I'm excited to hear the other two parts of the car acronym, my question is, is this why a lot of people, before, like they decide they need to start working out, but before they'll go to the gym, they want to watch like a thousand YouTube videos on different yes. workouts, and like, but what you're saying is that's not the right way to go about it. That's not really building confidence, or is it? Yeah, I mean, well, there's a, again, it's down to perception. So someone could watch a thousand YouTube videos on working out, and then at the end of it, still not feel very competent. Okay. Someone else could watch one and be like, yeah, I can go out and do this. <laughs> okay, I got you. Right? So the, the videos don't matter. It's how the videos affect the way that person perceives their competence. Yes. Ah, okay. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so the next step is A, and A stands for autonomy, meaning that in order to feel internal motivation, you have to feel like you made the choice for yourself, that it's not someone else forcing you to do it, it was self-generated, and that you've got choices in how you act. So, for example, if you work, at, if you work in a job, and everything, if you work in a job and let's say everything is totally systemized and you've got to follow every little step to the letter and there's no room for autonomy, there's no room for your own personal creativity, you've just got to follow the list, you've got to follow the tasks and do it exactly, okay? You're less likely to feel motivated to go ahead and do it, internally motivated that is, because you've got no autonomy, you've got no choice in the matter. Whereas if you feel like you have choice, you have choices on actions, which way you're going to do, like even you had a, a choice to actually decide what you wanted to do, decide the goal you had in mind, it was your choice, then you're likely to feel much more motivated to do it. So self-generated goals are much more motivation, motivating than um, other people putting goals on you. It sounds like so much of this has to do with the filter or the lens through which the person sees the world. Like you may be in the exact same situation as someone else, but because you do your mental conditioning, you see that as a situation where you have autonomy and you feel empowered and um, proactive. Whereas someone else, if they see the world differently, they're, they, may, they may be in that same exact situation and feel disempowered like they have no autonomy is that possible no exactly exactly and how do you develop how do you develop a filter that's more empowering so that even in those situations you're looking you're just more positive um is that the morning routine morning routine definitely helps i think first step to any type of change is um, awareness so being aware that Perhaps you, you're doing that to yourself. Perhaps you have those beliefs and that there's an alternative. Yeah. So step one, step two to any 
to step two to change is taking responsibility and oh, saying, okay, okay well, I'm aware of this. That's my responsibility of whether I want to change it or not. Um, so when it, when it comes to autonomy, um, you're right. If we use, if we use um, a fitness goal, if someone feel, you know, if someone believes that they're in control of their health, and that they can choose to improve the health or whatever, or they're in control of what their body looks like if they want to change how they look. And if they believe they're in control of their health and there's something they can do about it and they have a choice, then they're going to be much more motivated than someone else who believes that, oh, there's nothing we can do, it's my genetics. Oh, I'm born this way, it's my genetics, not really anything I can I can do about it, you know, I'm just, this is, I'm big boned, this is just the way I am. Or if they've got a partner that just keeps going on at them, telling them to lose weight, oh, you've got to lose weight, you've got to go to the gym, you've got to do this, they're probably not going to be motivated because it wasn't their idea and yeah. they've got someone telling them exactly what to, what to do. They're going to kill their own internal motivation. It wasn't self-generated. He wasn't autonomous in the decision-making or the process. When, when I was, I don't know, probably five or 10 years old, somewhere in there, my dad made the terrible mistake of buying my mom a gym membership for Christmas. Right. And uh, <laughs> Christmas morning, I witnessed, I witnessed him get a, a tongue lashing. And that, that membership never got picked up off the counter. Right. Because it wasn't her decision, from what you're saying. It makes sense. Yeah, sure. And I'm all tongue. So autonomy, extremely important. You need all three of these, by the way, to have internal motivation, really. Okay. Um. And then the final one is, you call it relatedness. I like to call it relationships because it's just easier to, to think of. That's um, human beings, we're, we're social animals. And we like to, whether we are aware of it or not, we like to impress our peers. We like to impress our family. We like to, we like to not even impress isn't the word. It's more fit in. We want to yeah. fit in with the group. Yeah. Okay? So we want to fit in with the group. So if our group... Let's say the group that you're in is related to health and fitness. If the group you're in is super high performers, you know, like total biohackers or whatever, like all about optimizing the energy, how they feel, you know, productivity levels and just feeling, living a long time, longevity, all about that. If you walk into that group and originally you weren't like that, you're going to feel really motivated to fit in and to start exercising, to start watching your nutrition, to start sleeping better, to start doing the things you to improve your health, to fit in line with the group norms. Because you want to feel related. You want to improve those relationships. Unconscious, this happens totally unconsciously, consciously or unconsciously, and we'll start picking up their habits and moving in that direction. So now, for, for someone listening that's like, well, Mark, I'm, I'm on board with everything you're saying, but you know, I'm, I'm married in a small town. I don't have people like that around me. Does yeah. do, do books and, and hiring a coach or conferences and events and, and programs, do those things count to, toward that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Those things totally count. You know, listening to this podcast or being part of the event and all of this stuff, it, it all counts because if you start to identify yourself in a group, you know, in the subgroup, you're going to start moving towards the norms of that group. So, for example, next next weekend, in a couple of weeks, I'm I'm going to be presenting at Paleo FX. Oh, nice! Right? If Congratulations, you, that's pretty cool. Thanks very much. Yeah, if you identify with a Paleo crowd, then you're more likely because you identify yourself with that crowd. You're more likely to start picking up the group norms. You're more likely to start being motivated to do what everyone else in that crowd is doing. Okay, and the opposite's true. So the studies actually is one in Birmingham from that was done in Birmingham, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, I believe, that actually shows if you've got one this is it's sad but true, shows that if you've got a friend, um, a close friend that is obese, I believe, don't quote me on this, but I'm I think this is the right start, something like this at least. That you're fifty percent more likely to be obese yourself. I've heard I've heard something similar. Yeah. And if you've got so not even 
a close friend. So if you're a friend of a friend is obese, you're 25% more likely to be obese yourself. And that, again, it's this networking effect or being like relationships, relatedness. You're, you're just going to pick up the group norms. You're going to pick up the group thinking. You're going to pick up the bad habits in terms of your health. And you're going to be less, if you're surrounded by people who are unhealthy, it's going to be much harder for you to feel motivated to turn your health around. Much more difficult. I, I like that a lot. And I've never heard that before. Very cool. So if, if there's someone and they, they know that they lack mental toughness, right. they procrastinate, they make excuses, yeah. they don't take responsibility for stuff, they tell themselves bullshit stories, they blame other people or other situations, yeah. they know they do that. Right. How do they change that? Great question. So someone like that who's blaming others, they're giving up their own autonomy because they're saying, I'm not responsible, it's other people that are responsible. So if you give up your own autonomy, your motivation dies. So by saying, look, I am responsible and moving forward increases motivation. And first step to any change is awareness. So if that sounds like you, you must first realize, like, man, this sounds like me. You know, don't have to, no need to judge it. No need to say, oh, this is really bad or this is good. Just be aware. Like, okay, this sounds like me. And ask yourself, are you getting the results you want from life? The results you're getting right now, are they the ones you want? If the answer is no, then you may want to explore trying on different beliefs. So you may want to explore starting to taking responsibility and saying, look, I'm, I'm the cause of my life. And this is my fault. You know, my life's like this because of me. And just start taking more responsibility and taking one step at a time. Yeah, I mean that that made that made a lot of sense. So someone that, that they just they lack the mental toughness, they make excuses. You're saying you're saying they're giving away their autonomy, so they need to to take responsibility. Um, and that starts with awareness. I got something else for you. Yeah. So mental toughness in the psychological literature, we call it resilience. Mental resilience, okay? You know, when things, when bad things happen, how fast do we bounce back? How do we get through hard times? We call it resilience. You know, you want to know what the number one key to resilience is? Absolutely. So the research, validated, studied, proven, if you like, key to mental toughness, resilience, is actually optimism. Ah. Being optimistic. So... Rather than being, quote-unquote, realistic, being optimistic. Now, optimism doesn't mean, you know, uh, I live in Hollywood, right? So I'm here in Hollywood, <laughs> California. There's a lot of optimistic people here. And sometimes, you know, especially young actors and so on, and some of them are overly, overly optimistic and some maybe unrealistically optimistic. So it doesn't mean disregarding reality completely and just being totally positive, it means, look, hey, there's a few ways I can look at this. And by leaning to the optimistic side of things, that is going to improve your mental toughness. It's going to improve your overall mental well-being. It's going to help you out. In fact, Dr. Martin Seligman, and professor at the University of Pennsylvania, he is one of the top psychologists of our time. God forbid when one day he passes away, he will definitely be known as a great in psychology. He'll be taught, I believe he'll be talked about like Freud's talked about and Carl Jung's talked about. Is that preeminent in our time? He says this, how all the research he's done in psychology, and this guy is, is old now, I think he's in the 70s maybe. He said that if there was one psychological asset that you could wish on your children, if there's one thing that's correlated with the most positive outcomes in life, from success, health, everything, that one asset is optimism. I like that a lot. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. This is, this is great stuff. Are you up for a couple of rapid fire questions before, before we wrap it. up? Yeah, let's do it. All right, awesome. Um, what do you do in the first 90 minutes of your day to make yourself more optimistic? 
Oh, good question. Well, the first thing I do, the thing I do in my first 60 minutes is I get up and I'm, I'll meditate for an hour. An hour? Yeah, I'll meditate for an hour. That's it. How do you meditate? Um, I do a couple of different types. So one is Vipassana meditation. If anyone knows what that is, it's basically um, focusing on your body, really. It's like a body scan, pulling up and down your body, noticing how it feels and noticing if you've got any pain or pleasure coming up and just being totally non-judgmental of everything. That's a simplistic way of explaining Vipassana meditation. And you're just kind of like uh, heightening your awareness of what's going on in your body? Yeah, heightening awareness of your body. And another type of meditation, which I probably do the most, is called Anapana. Very simple, just basically noticing the air coming in and out of my, my nostrils, so concentrating on feeling the air coming in and out. And I'll maybe count my breathing, like in, out, one, in, out, two, up to 10 and start again. And I've done, those are the two I do the most. And I'll do, I'll do transcendental meditation sometimes, which it's got a fancy name. It's been, there's lots of studies in it. There's like, I believe there's over, I think there's around 300 studies showing the benefits of transcendental meditation. Um, and that one's like a mantra meditation. So you just repeat a mantra over and over. So yeah, the first hour of the day, I'll definitely, do an hour of meditation and I don't know if that makes me more optimistic it certainly protects me from pessimism because it sort of just makes you um impartial just like things don't really bother you and you're not you're just aware of your thoughts a lot more so okay you know that's a disempowering thought that probably ain't going to help right now I'm like oh this is a more empowering thought I'll just do that instead (laughs) just makes you more aware and then the next 30 minutes, I'll go and do Dominate Your Day, <laughs> which just makes you feel amazing. Very cool. I'm, I'm excited to check out Dominate Your Day. Yeah, With what you've been saying, it seems like a lot of this comes down to whether someone believes they can change. Whereas, wow. like, you know, if, if, if you talk about um, what was a, a situation you gave, you gave me earlier, I don't have it off the tip of my tongue, but I want to go, I'll go back to the rapid fire round. I like that a lot. The, the meditation it's, did you work up to that or did you just jump into yeah. our meditations? I, um, so the story of me and meditation was, I was, I was interested in meditation for as long as I can remember because I've, I don't know, I must've heard, I used to watch Kung Fu the old TV series with David Carradine with my dad when I was a kid <laughs> and then he'd meditate there. So I thought it was like a badass thing to do, meditate. So I was always interested. I didn't actually do it. Yeah. Um, and then when I went out to um, graduate school to study positive psychology, a lot of research coming out on the benefits of med- meditating in the psychological literature. So I was like, oh, you know, if I'm going to learn about this stuff, I better put it to practice and experience it. So I, I found myself meditating on and off, you know, meditate two days and then not for three months and then <laughs> meditate, okay. So eventually I was like, look, let me just throw myself in the deep end, really just throw myself in the deep end. I went on a 10-day meditation retreat here in Southern California. It's, um, it was a 10-day silent Vipassana meditation. Anyone interested in that, it's actually all over the world and um the website is dharma.org. It's actually my last name, dharma, D-H-A-M-M-A.org. Um, it's pretty cool. Is that, a, is that a coincidence or are you affiliated with it? Um, I'm not affiliated with it. Um, I'm not affiliated with it. Um, it's, not, it's, actually, it's actually not a coincidence, but I'm not affiliated with it. I'll tell you another time. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, you can look that up. And then I turned up at this meditation retreat and right, right away, the first thing you had you doing was a one hour meditation. And really I was like, the deep end. yeah, I was like, you're not going to warm up. I've never done more than 10 <laughs> minutes before. We're doing an hour. I'm going to pull uh, a metaphorical meditation hamstring. <laughs> exactly. So, but the benefit was after doing that, you know, we was meditating like six hours a day or something. At the end of it, one hour was easy. Yeah. Um, I actually found after that after that retreat, I still didn't stick to a regular routine of meditation. I was just doing it on and off. So eventually, I went on a 
Headspace, the app Headspace, which teaches you how to meditate, is a great app. That's great. I'm on it right now. And then that helped me build the habit of daily meditation. Yeah. First it was 10 minutes, then I 20 minutes, then I got bored of the, then I thought 20 minutes was too easy, so I just started just jacking it up over time. So um, and then a friend challenged me to do two hours at once. So I did that for a little while, and that was tough. So now one hour is nothing. It's like if you run, if you run a marathon, and you get used to running a marathon, running ten k is easy. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you still miss days meditating, or you know, if you travel, do you sometimes find your schedule gets a little bit, your routine gets a little bit jacked up? Yeah, I mean, I wish I could say I was one of those people who like never miss a day and hit everything all the. I know people like that. One of my friends, Stephen, Stephen Apple, he's like that. If he's got something to do, he will not miss a day at all. That's not me. I wish it was. It's not me. I miss, I miss days. Um, my attitude is, we'll just get back on right away. And if you miss something, get back on. Yeah. Medi- meditation, I don't, like, even if I don't have time to do an hour sometimes, or if I don't create time to make an hour, I'll still do a minimum of 20 minutes. I really do not like missing a day in meditation at all because I can see the difference in my life if I miss it. What's, the, difference, the, what's the difference that you see? Oh, man, like it's so obvious now. So I'm really relaxed generally, really relaxed, happy, really not stressful. If I miss a day of meditation, then I'll notice – because I've been meditating for so long, it won't really – Hmm. That's the best. You've got, you got some like goodwill built up. Yeah, I got some goodwill. It's like training, right? Mm-hmm. It's like if you're if you're lifting every day and you're lifting and you're strong, and then you take a couple of weeks off. When you go back to the gym, you're still going to be strong. You're not going to lose all of it. You may lose a little bit, but you're still going to be strong. Okay. If you go off for a year, then you're going to lose your strength. It's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. So with meditation, what I notice is if I miss a day some negative thoughts may come up into my mind. I may notice a feeling of envy. You know, my girlfriend might say something and I may notice a, a tightening up in my body, like, like I want to say something back, yeah. you know, like a defensive say something back. Now, because I meditate, I'll notice these feelings come up, but I'm unlikely to um, react and actually do it or I'll notice an, like maybe a, nasty, a negative thought come up, but I'm unlikely to do anything about it. I'll just like let it go. Whereas most people, I would I would say, is if, if they've got no experience in meditation, those and this is, I'll talk about myself. In the past, when I didn't meditate, that nasty, that nasty thought would come up, and I would say it, or I'd feel a tightness in my body, and I would feel stressed. Or some, I had some negative self-talk come up, and I'd believe it, and it would affect my day. It would affect how I'd feel about myself. When I meditate regularly, that stuff doesn't even happen. If I miss a day, I'll notice it, and I'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, let me get back to this meditation. That's, that's brilliant, because everything you were talking through before – it, it makes sense and you, you, you understand the theories and principles, but you, you're, you find yourself asking these questions like, well, how do I go? Like, if I'm a negative person, how do I become more positive? If I'm a reactive person, how do I become yeah. more proactive? If I feel like I am my thoughts, yeah. how do I separate? This is a thought. This isn't me. And it seems yeah. like you just hit all the answer to all of those questions, which is meditate in the morning. Uh, yeah, I have, um, I joke with my friends and I, I joke, I joke with my clients because, um, like I said earlier, people are looking, you know, everyone wants to know the silver bullet, right? What's the silver bullet to your problems? What's the silver bullet to like negative self-talk, to not feeling confident, to lack of motivation, to just being unhappy generally in like, what's the silver bullet? And I'm like, man, I've got all these different teachings. I'll pull out some positive psychology. I've got, got this, I've got this, all these little mind hacks that I've got. By the end of the day, dude, <laughs> if you just meditate, like that's all you need. Yep. Like, that, that's, in my experience, it's almost like that is the solution to world peace. Meditate. 
I, I, in my experience. I, 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 I agree. I, it's so powerful. And now you're, I mean, you're a Jedi compared to me. I, I meditated before our conversation here and it was, oh, cool. it was for five minutes. <laughs> you know, I set okay. the clock for five minutes, but I feel better even just in that, in that little bit. Um, all right. Well, last, last, I mean, I think that's, that's great advice. Um, and I'm going to try to work, work up a little bit and hang on your level. What's the, what's, well, yeah, go ahead. I, I just, I would, I'd encourage you and I challenge you to do 10 minutes. Yeah. So just make that you think. How long have you been doing five minutes for? Um, for a while, for a while. Yeah. Well, then, you know, I encourage you. It's, your, it's just a suggestion. <laughs> you can yeah. do whatever you want to do, but you know, maybe, maybe you're ready for 10 minutes now and that's just your new norm. Uh, absolutely. And, um, and I'll do five minutes and then, you know, maybe later in the day, if I, if I have an opportunity, I'll do another five minutes. So it's kind of like chunked, but mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to, I'm going to bang out a 10 or a 20 minute meditation and, uh, take, take on your challenge. I, I appreciate that. Um, awesome. favorite thing you've bought recently in the past year, that's under 200 bucks. Favorite thing I bought recently in the 200 bucks oh what's that thing that i keep saying i'm glad i bought <laughs> <laughs> it's something I, I i say often like man i'm glad i bought this what was it maybe these earphones and the and reason is because what are those some, bose these are both bose earphones the one i've got in right oh, now oh nice yeah are those for the working reason, out yeah because i can use them for working out and they, they just never fall out where I had an issue with them falling out all the time. I don't like using, I will not put a phone next to my head because the electromagnetic frequency, the EMR, the radiation. And um, the reason I won't do that is because I actually, I don't know what it is. I don't know whether because I meditate all the time, but I actually feel it. If I put it next to my head, I, I feel like, um, like tingling and pain sensation deep in my head. So I just don't like putting it next to my head. So I'll use these earphones. Do Even know, if I put do you know it on what my model those are? I mean, I'm looking at them. They look red and black with. Yeah, I think they're both sport type model. Sport model, um, okay. I'm not sure exactly, but I love them. Um, and I, so I use them for my calls. I use them for working out. I, I, I love them. I use them for everything, audio books, whatever. And they just awesome. will not fall out. It will not fall out of your ears. I'm gonna get a pair of those because I've had the I've had the Dre Beats for a long time and and I, I love them, but I've had a lot of issues with them and they don't work that well with uh, with cell phones. So I'm gonna pick up a pair of those bows. So thank you for that. Oh, that is awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, last question. So if you if you could put together one book and one movie or DVD in like a care package and it was gonna to go to someone anywhere in the world, so you don't know who's gonna get it. But you wanted it to have the highest probability of being able to help improve that person's quality of life or change their life in some way. What's the book and what is the movie that you put in the care package? Where you're like, these two would probably help the greatest amount of people. Okay. I think the book would likely be The Power of Now. By Eckhart Tolle, and the DVD. Oh, <laughs> what would the DVD be? DVD would likely be. Oh, or even what's what's a movie that really changed your life? A movie or a documentary. Changed, a movie or documentary that changed my life. Rocky and the Avengers keep popping up, but I don't think I don't, I don't think it was that. Hey, Rocky! Rocky's a classic. <laughs> Rocky's a, Rocky's I haven't a seen the Avengers, but I need to. Avengers um, is pretty cool. Man. I watched that the other day. I liked it. Yeah. Oh, Captain America: Civil War. That's a great movie. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna check those out. Avengers wouldn't be perfect human diet because I think um, improving your diet helps oh. improve your mental and physical well-being. Nice. That's a that's a DVD. Yeah, it's a DVD, Perfect Human Diet. Perfect Human Diet. I got to check that one out. Um, all right. I love, I love when, uh, when guests suggest stuff I haven't watched or read before. Um, all right. Well, this, is, I mean, this has been a ton of fun. Mark, where can people 
where can people find out? I mean, you've got programs on motivation that help with this stuff and walk people through your your system step by step. Where can uh-huh. people go if they want to check some of that stuff out? And, and how can they stay up to date with, uh, with, with what you're up to? They can just go to markdamma.com. That's my blog. And that's D-H-A-M-M-A? That's right. Mark, M-A-R-K, D-H-A-M-M-A. Awesome. And um, are you active on the social networks? <laughs> I'm big. I'm, I'm on YouTube and I'm big on the Snapchat. I got a, huge, a lot of people like to um, follow me on Snapchat because every day as it comes up, I'm just sharing high performance health, high, high performance mindset tips. And then I've got a lot of people on Snapchat ask me questions and I'll answer them all the time. So Snapchat is probably my biggest one. Awesome. And how did the, what, what's your Snapchat name? It's just my name, Mark, Mark Dama. Mark Dama at Snapchat. All right, Mark, this has been very cool, very fun, and uh, you're, you're a wealth of knowledge. And I like that you take these, these complex concepts and give actionable steps in order to make those changes. Because so often we have, we're like, yeah, I want to be more positive. I want to, you know what I mean? I want to be more motivated, but we don't really know how to go about doing, about doing it. And, and you gave us some pretty incredible strategies today. So thank you for your time. All right. Thank you, Anthony. Pleasure to be on. Pleasure, brother. Have a good one. All right. Thank you. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by naturalactiontechnologies.com. If you're looking for water with the same energetic, life-enhancing properties that you would find in a mountain stream, the same properties that easily cross cellular membranes and help our bodies to maintain proper hydration, then I highly suggest you check out naturalactiontechnologies.com. Their portable is my go-to unit for creating structured water on the go. It neutralizes toxins in the water by changing the molecular structure, leveraging an advanced understanding of the vortex phenomenon. This pure water gives me increased energy, greater hydration, it detoxifies pollutants, and it improves illness immunity. I also use the structured shower head. Since using the shower head, I've noticed major improvements in both my skin and my hair. The shower head also eliminates itchy skin from chlorinated water and gets rid of hard water buildup that can accumulate. You can learn more about the portable and the shower head and other natural water products at naturalactiontechnologies.com. That's natural actiontechnologies.com. This episode is brought to you by the Earth Pulse PEMF Sleep on Command device. If you're looking for better sleep, enhanced mitochondrial function, improved performance, and accelerated recovery, I highly recommend you check out the Earth Pulse. Within the first week of sleeping on my Earth Pulse, I was seeing improved exercise performance, delayed onset of fatigue, I noticed more energy during my workouts, and I was able to break the three-minute mark on a static breath hold. I now sleep on my Earth Pulse PEMF, which stands for Pulsed Electromagnetic Field device every single night. I have the one that has two coils. One goes under your pillow, one goes under your mattress, and I take it with me when I travel. I don't leave home without it. Every time I use my Earth Pulse, I wake up feeling clearer, calmer, and more energized. And I can tell the difference if I skip using it for a few nights. What's even cooler is it's incredibly easy to use. I just put it in manual mode, set it to 9.6 hertz, and about 15 minutes before my alarm is going to go off. And that's it. It's very easy, just a couple buttons, and the performance-enhancing benefits are profound. To learn more about the Earth Pulse and check out some of the scientific literature, you can go to biohackingsecrets.com forward slash Earth Pulse. That's biohackingsecrets.com forward slash E-A-R-T-H-P-U-L-S-E.